Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Number six and verse one, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the, the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said, I woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I want to look at that first verse of Scripture. In the year that King Uzziah died, and notice these next few words, I saw also the Lord. I saw also the Lord. I just want to preach from this subject tonight, seeing God in the midst of struggle, seeing God in the midst of struggle. Before we go into the word of the Lord, I want us to know that her name appeared on the prayer request list, but I want to give special prayer for Sister Christy tonight, Sister Christy Dewberry. As we speak, she's being flown to Dallas uh, there's been some situations concerning her health, and uh, there's some answers that are being sought, and we're praying for the Lord to intervene. And a uh, very special lady to this church, grew up in this church, and so I think it's incumbent upon us that we spend a little bit of time here before we go further with the service to pray that Lord's hand be upon Sister Christy and that God would touch her in her body. Let's pray that the doctors are able to help her, and let's pray that Lord's miracle touch would come into her life. Would you join with me in prayer? Let's pray with faith. Jesus, we're asking in your name that you would touch Sister Christy right now. I'm praying, God, that you would move upon her. You've given her miracles in times past. God, just a few years ago, you ministered and worked in her life a marvelous miracle and really brought her back from the jaws of death. And I'm praying, God, that you would intervene even now. Praying, God, that you would touch her in this situation. I pray, God, that you would give her a miracle. We're thankful, God, that you're able to reach and you're able to restore. You're able to answer the prayers and the desires of this faithful family. In Jesus' name we pray. And let's give thanks to the Lord for hearing us. Come on, let's give praise to the Lord for hearing us right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
Praise God. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. Seeing God in the midst of struggle. One of the greatest stories of Scripture, and one that I might say is fun for us as preachers to preach, is the story about the three Hebrew children, or we call them the three Hebrew boys. Their names in Scripture as we know them and often tell the story is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But we do understand that these were names that were given to them by King Nebuchadnezzar, their captor. Their actual names was Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Their names were changed, and this was a normal procedure when a captor wanted to take dominion over a person and enslave them, they would often rename them in an effort to show that dominion and to bring perhaps intimidation upon their captors. In the same way, we see uh, how that all the way back in the beginning, this uh, examples dominion. When the Lord uh, gave Adam the opportunity in creation to name the animals. It was because he wanted them, or he wanted Adam, to have dominion over them. And so he was the one that was given the responsibility of naming them. The enemy has tried to use and distort uh, dominion and situations of this world as far as institutions that God has established, things that God has put in order. He's tried to take dominion in those areas and distort these things by renaming them. We see this with the uh, institution of marriage, which God established in His Word. It says in the beginning that He created male and female, but this is something that the enemy has tried to destroy and the enemy has tried to distort. And he's tried to take dominion in the minds of people. But we understand and we know that a part of the process of us being born again, a part of the process of us being saved, is that we go down in the name of Jesus and water baptism. And therefore we receive a new name. We take on the name of Jesus Christ. And he has dominion in our life. And through him we have victory. Through him we have power over sin. We once were bound. We once were restricted. We once were oppressed by the sin of this world. We were born innate with sin in our nature. We were born in the beginning with sin. The Bible says in Psalms 51 that we were conceived in sin. And we were born in iniquity. But I am so thankful that when we take on the name of Jesus Christ, we have power over those sins, and those sins are remitted. Aren't you thankful for the remitting power of the name of Jesus Christ in baptism? But Nebuchadnezzar chose to rename these individuals. And even though he knew that there was something special about these Hebrew children that were in Babylonian captivity, the scripture says that his ego got away from him and in his pride 
he constructed a golden image of himself. And he called for all the princes and governors of the land to come along with musicians. And he had all of the people gather. And to this great image that he had constructed and built, he demanded that when the music was played, that all of them, every one of them, bow their knees and bow before this image that again was made in the likeness of Nebuchadnezzar. Now we could go into all of the details about how powerful the kingdom of Babylon was and we could talk about ancient Babylon and how that it was one of the strongest kingdoms of the then known world if not the most powerful kingdom of the then known world and how that historically so much can be learned about the kingdom of Babylon in ancient times and Nebuchadnezzar being the leader or the king of that kingdom and how that he demanded that all of the constituents of that kingdom bow before this image that he had made with gold in his own likeness. This is the nth of pride, if you will. This is, uh, this is his arrogance on display. But there were three young men that was among that crowd, three believers, if you will, that refused to bow. When the music played, they stood erect because they knew that their worship was to only go to the Lord God Jehovah. These one God believers knew that they weren't to bow before any pagan idol. They knew that it was idolatrous for them to bow a knee before this image that Nebuchadnezzar had created. And so they understood that their worship was to only go to the Lord. And therefore it was reported to Nebuchadnezzar that there was at least three among all of these that refused to, to bow their knees but remained standing. And this infuriated him. And so he called them to stand before him and he thought with just a little bit of reproof and a little bit of correction and perhaps a little intimidation and warning that if they did not bow, a reminder that what the consequences would be, that you would be thrown into the fiery furnace that had been constructed for the express purpose of punishing those that did not obey the king's command. But how astonished he was that when they looked at him, they said, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. In other words, we're going to believe God rather than man. We're going to stand for what is right in our convictions in the face of trying to be coerced otherwise. We're going to believe and stand for what God and His Word says over and above what you try to intimidate us with. We're going to remain standing. We're not going to give our worship to another Nebuchadnezzar. And he begins to explain to them what the consequences is going to be and who, he says, and what God is going to deliver you then? And they answered and said, We want you to understand, and I love this, We want you to understand that our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. 
let that be stated first of all unequivocally that if you plan to intimidate us and tell us that our God is not able, I want you to understand that we've seen him do miracles. We know that he is able, that he can protect us, and that he will if he chooses to. But even, I like this part, even if not, we want you to understand if he does not protect us and he lets us perish with the fire, we're still not going to bow to your system. We're still not going to bow to your image. We're still not going to go along with what you say. Oh, I'm telling you, in this generation, there needs to be some holy rejection of what the world says and people that stand up for righteousness in this hour and say, you know what? We're going to believe the Word of God. We're going to stand true to the Word of the Lord. Praise God. Come on. Let's give a hand clap of praise unto God. I'm going to tell you, don't make anybody feel like you're rebellious when you stand for God's Word. Don't ever let anybody intimidate you and tell you that you're rebellious when you stand up for what is right, when you go against the flow, when you stand firm in your convictions, when you say, you know what, I'm not going to violate that. God put that in His Word, and therefore I believe it with all of my heart. I'm going to stand for what is right. Oh, yeah. Praise God. Praise God. And so this, this made him mad. He said, let's heat that thing up seven times hotter. And still they were unfazed. And he said, man, if that's how you feel about it, we're going to have you fellas thrown into that fiery furnace. And when he threw them in bound, it was so hot and so intense that the men that threw them in, the Bible says, you read it, perished because of the heat. But these men, when they were cast in, and again, this is another part of the story that is amazing to me and I like it. It says that when they looked in, they saw not just those three that they had thrown into the fire. You know the story. There was a fourth man in the fire. And it says that they were walking around in the fire. Unfazed by the fire. It was almost like they were mocking what was taking place. It was almost like God was putting on display, let me show you what I can do. Because they stood for me. Because they stood for what's right. Because they did not cave. Because they did not give in. Let me show you what I am able to do. And he allowed them to walk around in the presence of those that were skeptics. In the presence of those that did not believe that it was possible. In the presence of those that seen that there was no way physically for this to happen. And he said the appearance of this fourth man is likened to the Son of God. I realize there's something special and distinct about this particular individual. In the fire God was with them. And the Bible says that when they came out of this fire that their hair was not 
singed. Their coats were unchanged. And it also says that the smell of fire was not upon them. I'm telling you, when you come out of the trial, if you got God with you, it has no effect upon you. There's no, there's no appearance that you've been through it. There's no rudeness of it left on you. There's no, there's nothing there to leave as a scar that, that you've been through the trial and the circumstance that God can bring you out whole. God can bring you out strong. God can bring you out without a blemish on you. I just want to stop right there and say that when the church is caught up in the rapture, it's not going out weak. It's not going out beat up. It's not going out, going out drugged down. But it's going out without spot, without recall, or any such thing. It's going to emerge from every trial triumphantly. It's going to emerge from every problem. Amen. It's going to emerge from every situation stronger than when it went in because we got God with us. Hallelujah. Come on, clap your hands and give a little praise unto the Lord. Woo, that ought to make somebody want to shout. That ought to make somebody. We got a promise. We got one that will never leave us nor forsake us. But he said he'd be with us even to the end of the world. Well, I feel my helper coming now. Praise God. Praise God. You can be seated. So the prophet Isaiah in our text tonight said all of this happened in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw also, there was a lot of things that he was seeing. All you have to do is read through the first five chapters of the book of Isaiah and see that it wasn't all good, all that he was seeing. I mean, it was woe is this and woe is that. It was confusion and disparity. It was kingdoms turning against God. It was people rebelling and, re and backsliding. And he was pointing out all the woes and the negative things in the first five chapters. And so in the midst of all of this, he said, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. Now we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But I want to talk about this amazing change and experience that took place in the prophet Isaiah's life. Of course, the Lord revealed things to Isaiah that would help the Jewish people and the Jewish nation for generations to hold on. And to have hope for the Messiah's coming. He is called the Messianic prophet. He's also considered by theologians to be a prophet of oratory. I mean, there's just so much. Uh, matter of fact, people that don't even really have a belief as far as Christianity is concerned and faith in God. Study the book of Isaiah because it's so beautifully written. And it is a marvelous piece of literature. And people read it for those purposes, which I think is a travesty because it's not only a beautiful piece of literature and poetry, if you want to say it that way, and prophetic book, but it has so much insight, especially for those of us that have been baptized in the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Because this is divinely inspired. 
And when you've got the divine living on the inside of you, there's a connection there that can only be made through having the Holy Ghost with the Word of God. And I don't know why I get off on this subject, but can I just say that the reason why a lot of people have difficulty understanding passages of Scripture and trying to, to put meaning on certain passages of Scripture is because they're reading it without the influence of the Holy Ghost in their life. What are you trying to say? These epistles, for instance, in the book, in the New Testament, the books, the epistles that are written there were two churches where the members of those churches had the Holy Ghost. And so he was writing to people that had understanding through the Holy Ghost. And the Spirit was revealing things to them through the anointed and divinely inspired writings of the apostles to these churches. And so when you try to get the cart before the horse and you try to understand certain aspects of living for God before you follow uh, the, the things that in, 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 the, in the stages of maturity need to be followed, you know, try to debate and try to, try to find reason for certain things before you really receive what comes first. And that is that you need to be born again. You need to repent of your sins. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name. And you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And then we can get over there and start talking about things and how you're going to walk in obedience to the Spirit of God. And you'll understand those things. It will be made clear to you. Oh, so if you're having trouble, amen, understanding certain things in the Word of God, maybe it's because you need a renewing in the Holy Ghost. People that start disbelieving or discounting or going back on things, it's because they have not allowed the Spirit of God to influence their thinking in a long time. Oh, I'm dropping off on amens here. But it's still the truth of God's Word. If you stay full of the Holy Ghost, there's nothing in this book that you won't want to obey because your desire will be to please the Lord. Your desire is to be right before God. Your desire is to do the will of God. Oh, yeah. Praise God. And so this amazing experience that Isaiah describes he describes that it happened in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, to understand this, you have to go back and study the life of King Uzziah, who reigned so perfectly at first, it seems like. I mean, there is hardly a thing that you can point at in King Uzziah's early stages of leading uh, the nation of Israel that you could point at with a finger of accusation. He did that which was right, the Bible said, in the eyes or in the sight of God. He walked in the ways of David, his father, the Bible says. Uzziah was, in fact, a righteous man. He, he built stronger. He did his best to improve things while he was, he was king. Uh, he uh, built stronger fortifications to protect the cities of the nation of Israel. He built strong towers in the wilderness so that they could see uh, the enemy staging attacks against them and fortifications for them to get in in the wilderness. He was expanding their land. He dug wells and, and new, new wells. He, he, he kept the old wells cleaned out and he dug new wells to improve their resources. He promoted 
inventors and developers and engineering marvels, if you study this. And he created greater infrastructure and a greater economy for Israel. He put the Lord first in his life. And because of this, he was able to subdue the majority of the enemies of Israel. He was a victorious king in the early stages of his reign. But somewhere along the way, this very strong king become lifted up in himself. The Bible says this, that he gained strength. But when he became strong in his heart, was lifted up. When he became strong in his heart, he was lifted up in pride. He began to think of himself as invincible. He put himself into a position of uh, not, not thinking that anybody could tell him or restrict him or being obedient even as it was to the word of God. Nobody can instruct him in the word of the Lord. In fact, one of the greatest offenses or the greatest offense of Uzziah's life is that he took it upon himself, the role of a priest. He was a king that was anointed to be king, but he took upon himself another entire office that was only for those that were of a certain tribe. Those that were called out ones and singled out by God and anointed by God to do service in the holy places before the Lord. But he took it upon himself thinking because I am king. I have all authority. Nobody can stop me. And he took upon himself the role of a priest and he went in. And he burnt incense before the Lord. And this was a major breach against the holy and sacred things of God. This was a major transgression that Uzziah committed. God did not play games with this type of thing. And so while he was still in the temple doing this, in the very act of burning these incense, the priest got word of it. And 80 of them gathered together and went in to reprove him, to rebuke him for what he had done. And when they went in to speak to him about it, said, we can't allow this to go on. This is not the will of God. This is not right. This is against God's word. And uh, I want to tell you, you ought to thank God for preachers in this hour that are not intimidated, that are not cowardice when it comes uh, to certain people of certain positions and say well I can't really preach to them the whole counsel of God because maybe they're in a certain position or they have a certain amount of money but you ought to thank God for preachers in this hour that stand up for the word of God and as these priests said doesn't matter who you are where you come from or how much money you give you are still wrong and we need to tell you that this is a breach against the holy things of God. And so uh, when they went in to reprove him for these actions, the scripture tells us that he turned to face them and to rebuke them for trying to correct him. And as a result, immediately leprosy appeared in his forehead. Immediately leprosy not just appeared upon his body, but I think the scripture is very explicit when it says that it appeared upon his forehead because 
This is not something that could be hidden. This is not something that could be covered up. But at that point, this man, no matter what position that he had as king, he was brought down to the state of a leper. And this was a very, of course, contagious disease. And he would have to be quarantined for the rest of his life. He would have to live banished from society, alone, and in isolation for the rest of his life. He would be unclean. And this was something that really affected him. And eventually, the Bible tells us that uh, uh, this wound that came upon him, if you want to say it that way, it affected his son, and it affected those that were after him. I'm going to tell you, when you, when you sin against God, and you, you do things against the Word of God, and you walk away from God, and you do not regard or respect His Word, it may appear like you're getting by with it, but it's not going to only affect you, but it's going to affect those that are around you, especially those that are under your influence that you love so dearly are going to be affected by that. And we see after that that his children chose a different way because evidently this that came upon him, they did not learn to respect the house of God, but perhaps even feared the house of God because of this breach that was made by the choices of Uzziah. But the Bible tells us that he eventually passed away. And in the year that King Uzziah died, this year was tumultuous. This year uh, was a year of disruption. This was a period of time when people had fallen into chaos and spiritual confusion. Again, you can read it through the first five chapters of Isaiah, the condition of the nation of Israel. Yet the Bible says in the year. And I like what it says. It doesn't say the day. It says in the year that King Uzziah died. And the reason I like that so much is because uh, it gives me a little hope uh, for 2020. It helps me to understand some of the struggles that we're going through right now. Some of the things that we've been facing in our world over the last several months. Now being almost uh, uh, nine full months of dealing with all of these things that have been coming against us. When was it? About the last part of February. We began to hear word about this possible pandemic. And then it was full-blown just a few days after that. And so it seems like America and the world has been under siege since that point. Not only that, there's been hurricanes and rogue storms. There's been fires on the West Coast. There's been challenges with people's health in other ways right here in this local congregation. And so in the year that King Uzziah died, it was a year of tumultuous it was a year of storms. It was a year of spiritual uprising. It was a year when it seemed like there was conflict and chaos all around. But in the year that King Uzziah died, he got to looking around. He said, suddenly, I've seen something different than what I'd been looking at and what I'd been seeing that was so negative before. Suddenly, I've seen something positive on the horizon. I saw also the Lord. And you know what? He was upon his throne. He was high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. 
Hallelujah. First of all, what he states to us in this passage of Scripture is there's still one that's in control. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what you're facing. It doesn't matter what kind of challenge it is against you. I'm telling you, he is still on the throne. He is still in charge. He still has all authority. It may look like uh, that there are those that are trying to usurp that authority, but in the end, uh, we're going to see the Lord high and lifted up uh, and his train. You know what that is? Uh, That signifies his victory. That tells the story of his triumph. Uh, I'm telling you, his train is going to fill the house of God. It filled the temple. Amen. The presence of the Lord. Come on, let's lift up our voice and let's give praise to him right now. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. When it talks about his train filling the temple, I want you to understand what that's telling us. That's telling us that he's accessible. That tells us that he is available. That you too can experience his glory. That you too can experience his power. That it's not just for an exclusive group. It's not just for a certain people. But it's going to fill the temple. I'm going to tell you, God is going to move in these last days. God's going to work for those that believe him in these last days. And it's not just going to be an exclusive work, but it's going to be for all that hunger for Him, all that desire Him, all that thirst for Him, all that believe Him at His Word, all that desire His promises. God is able to work for us in this hour, in the year that King, you say 2020 looks awful bad, Pastor. Is it going to get any better? I'm telling you right in the midst of struggle, you can see the Lord. I said you can see the Lord. You can see God high lifted up and his train filling the temple. Oh, I think somebody ought to just go ahead and worship the Lord. So somebody ought to just go ahead and praise the Lord. Woo! Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah! Fear ain't going to control the temple. Oh, no. No, fear ain't going to control the temple. Fear ain't going to control God's people. Oh, he's high and lifted up. Peace is going to rule. God is going to rule from his throne. Something He saw something happen there. He said, I looked around, and in the presence of that throne room that God revealed to him, he saw angels, four, four angels, seraphims. Uh, first place that really is mentioned in the Scripture, seraphims, which is angels, but it's a special type that are in the throne room of God. And these four seraphims are crying out one to another. And the Bible talks about these wings, and with twain, two of them, they covered their face, and with twain they covered their feet, and with twain they did fly. So six-winged creatures that were in the presence of the Lord. And uh, they were crying out one to another, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. John got a glimpse of this, and he said, they said, He which was, and which is, and which is to come. Holy, holy. 24 hours a day, seven days a week in the throne room of God. 
always and continually giving praise to God unfazed by what was going on on the outside unfazed by the circumstances of the world unfazed I'm going to tell you your praise should not be affected by the problems that are going on in this world because he's holy and he's righteous and he's powerful and he's in control no matter what's going on they cried one into another and I've, I've preached about this before. And uh, we know that they were around in this throne room, these, these four beasts. And they were taking on different perspectives of the same thing. They were looking upon the throne of God. But they were seeing it from different angles. They were seeing it from different perspectives. They were getting another, they were getting another view, if you will, of the glory of God. But they all said the same thing. He's holy. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Maybe they moved to a different position and they cried out again, Holy, I still see the same thing no matter how I look at it. He's still holy. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter where you view him from. Whether you view him from a place of trial or a place of triumph. Whether you view him from a bed of sickness or you stand in health. He's still holy. He's still holy. He's still holy. He's still holy. It doesn't matter how you look at him. He's still worthy of being praised. He's still worthy of being lifted up. He's still worthy of being magnified. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Holy Lord God Almighty. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the Bible said at their praise, at their worship, there was something that shifted in the throne room. The Bible said the pillar or the post of the throne room moved at the voice of them that cry. You can't tell me your worship doesn't move things. You can't tell me your worship isn't powerful. Oh, you can't tell me that it doesn't mean anything. You can't tell me this is just a bunch of emotion here tonight. But when people really worship the Lord with a revelation and an understanding, when you really get a view of how holy it is and you begin to worship Him as such, the Bible said things that would not otherwise move. Come on, we're talking about the throne room of God. We're not talking about a shack or or some, some building that is inferior and built by man. Oh no, we're talking about the throne room of God. We're talking about something that is formidable. Even the post moved. Even that post moved at the voice of them that cried. I believe praying our way through to victory. I believe praying our way through to triumph. I believe worshiping God until we get through to where we need to be. Oh yeah. Praise God. I believe that prayer is is something that is strong. I believe that prayer is something that we must practice. But I'm going to tell you when you played it all on the altar, when you prayed about it, at some point in the midst of your prayer, it becomes a part of it. You start worshiping God and thanking God for victory coming into your life. That's right. Come on. Hallelujah. You start thanking God that He's bringing the answer. That He is going to bring me victory. He's going to help me in the midst of my situation. Yeah. Woo. I saw also the Lord. Daniel talks about it. I'm almost finished. 
in Daniel chapter 7, he had a dream that was very revelatory. Matter of fact, I can't begin to describe everything and tell you all the details of this dream because I don't understand it all. And I'll leave that up to eschatologists and people that have a greater understanding of the end time. But the Bible does tell us that he saw empires rising and falling. He saw four beasts churning in the sea. These were very scary things and horrific things to witness and to see. And yet, at the end of describing these events, he would say words like, And I beheld. And then he would describe something else, destruction and devastation. He would say, and I saw. And you read on down of another atrocity, another empire rising against another, and a war breaking out. And he would say, and I beheld, or I saw. When many of us would have been putting blinders on, when many of us would have been stuffing our head underneath the pillow and saying, I don't want to see anymore. God, don't let me see anymore. I don't want any more revealed to me. I don't want to see any more of this. He just kept looking. He just kept viewing. He kept watching. He he kept looking beyond that atrocity to something else. And yes, there was another horrific thing and another horrific thing. But he just, he didn't give up. He just kept looking and he kept looking until finally in verse 13, he said, behold, I saw one like the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven, coming with dominion and glory. So what is the word here for you tonight? It may not seem like you've seen anything good so far, but I come to preach to you saying that God don't stop looking. Keep on looking. Keep on believing. Keep on going to the prayer closet and lifting up your voice and looking out on the horizon and the landscape spiritually and keep looking for victory keep looking for triumph keep looking for the breakthrough keep looking for God to answer keep looking for revival to come in your family keep looking for God to bring victory in your home why don't you stand with me right now Well, let's jump to John the Revelator. The Bible tells us that he saw all kind of apocalyptic scenes. Wrath being poured out in vials upon the earth. Dragons and disturbing things. A sea mingled with fire, the Bible tells us about. Yet, the Bible tells us, first of all, it tells us in John chapter number One, in verse 13, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, (laughs) I saw one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with garment down to the foot and girt about at the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hair was white like wool and and as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet likened to fine brass, and as they burned in a, as burned if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, and saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. 
I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys to death, hell, and the grave. You say, well, that's at the beginning of the book of Revelation. Well, let me read to you in the last of the book of Revelation. In chapter 21, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And for the first heaven and the first earth was passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of the heavens saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell in them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all their tears, or all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Hallelujah. Come on, quit putting your faith in men and start putting your faith in God. Quit putting your faith in in men and start putting your faith in God. I want to tell you, it's time for somebody to realize in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw so the Lord. So I'm in the midst of a struggle. I'm in the midst of a spiritual struggle. Firestorm. Can I tell you, you can see the Lord in that. Hallelujah. If you'll look for Him, He's there. I said He's there. I wonder if there's somebody like to respond to this altar call. I wonder if there's somebody like to come down to this front. Maybe you're in the midst of the struggle. Maybe you're in the midst of the pain. Maybe you're in the midst of the fight. Maybe you find yourself in the middle of the trial right now. In the middle of the circumstance right now. I want to preach to you that you could see him in the midst of this. If you'll look for him. I want to encourage you. As Daniel said, I beheld and I saw. I never stopped looking. I never stopped looking for him. I kept on pursuing him. I kept on looking out for him. I kept on yearning to see victory come and answers come and solutions come to my life. You can see God in the midst of struggles. Hallelujah. Come on, let's lift up our voice to him. Let's cry out to him right now. Let's seek him together right now.